Today on Recur Now, how to set up and learn from experiments. Plus, an investor and founder reveals what she looks for when considering her investments. And finally, the second annual Enterprise Tech 30 list has been released, and we do some recognizing ourselves. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it's Thursday, February 27th. I'm Grace Gagnon. I'm Abby Sullivan. And I'm James Herrick. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. Up first, you know it, it's your news. Stefan Tomka, professor at Harvard Business School, says running experiments can give companies tremendous value. But too often, business leaders make decisions solely based on intuition. While A-B testing on large transaction volumes is common practice at already impressive organizations like Google, Booking.com, and Netflix, Tomka says even small firms can get a competitive advantage from experiments. In a podcast dropped by the Harvard Business Review, Stefan explains how to introduce, run, and learn from experiments and how to actually build a culture of experimentation in your organization. But why is that important, though? Because when you give the employee the authority to experiment, the results can be groundbreaking. Here's a clip with host Kurt Nickish. Just to start, pretend I'm a business leader. Make the case for me. Why do we need to experiment more in business? Well, first of all, it can generate a tremendous amount of value. Uh, let me give you an example. Microsoft's you know, Bing you know, which is its search engine. Sure. Uh, an, an employee working sort of at Bing uh, came up with an idea on how to sort of display sort of ads. You know, the uh, manager didn't think much of it and they kind of shelved it. Mm-hmm. But the employee insisted. At some point, the employee decided just to launch an experiment to run a test, a control test. And when he ran the test, that little change, you know, a few days of work, generated more than $100 million of additional revenue in that year alone. And of course, more revenue going forward. It was, in fact, it was the most successful experiment that was run at Bing. So, you know, what, what made the difference? Well, the difference was that the employee had the power, essentially, or the authority to run the experiment, to launch it and to test it. It's the test that actually told you what works and doesn't work. And not the manager. And not the manager. The problem is in a lot of uh, innovation, especially sort of when you're trying to predict uh, customer behavior, we get it wrong most of the time. And so rather than trying to follow our intuition or our opinions, uh, why not just run the test and let the test tell us what works and doesn't work? So why aren't people doing this already, you ask? Stefan says there are a lot of reasons, from conducting two simple experiments to lack of tools. He goes into this in the podcast. He also delves into the ways in which you can start fostering experimentation in your own org. And if that's the difference between creating something that works to fix something that doesn't, what do you have to lose? We'll link to the full podcast interview in your subscriber newsletter so you can listen for yourself. If you have an example to share, email me at abby at so we can share it with our crew. We also have a talk from Dan Walchnock, product guy at Reforge, on experimentation for revenue that we'll link to in your subscriber newsletter. And now Capiche is asking all the things. Capiche? AMAs, or Ask Me Anythings, have apparently become a hit on Capiche. 
We're a big fan of the AMA here over at ProfitWell, and our very own Patrick Campbell just so happens to be featured on Capiche's Next Go Round. Capiche is a secret society for SaaS power users, revolving around what they call honest conversations around SaaS. And the Capiche team started an AMA series that's been pretty damn useful, covering topics like what workplace software is most crucial for your day-to-day, selling software in the early stages, pricing transparency in SaaS, and usable software to become a better leader, with people like Alex McCaw over at Clear bit and Merci Victoria Grace, an investor at Lightspeed, founder of Women in Product, who used to be over at Slack. Here's a question and answer from Merci's to give you an idea. Capiche asks, what do you look for in SaaS companies you're considering investing in? Her answer, she says, if it's really early, a two plus person founding team that includes a customer obsessed CEO with great product taste and storytelling ability and a strong CTO or CMO. Basically, the founders need to be people I would work for. A strong plan and or lots of interesting thoughts for what go to market looks like. It doesn't matter what you build if no one else uses it. There is plenty more where that came from. So be sure to check these AMAs out for yourself. We'll link to access in your subscriber news. And finally, Grace is recognizing some masters in the tech space. We are living in an era during which startups are critical to business innovation. Enterprise tech startups are driving business growth and innovation globally, which we witness on the daily. However, we're also reminded that it's not often clear which startups have that concrete underlying potential. And Enterprise Tech 30 is asking, is there a more insightful, objective way to identify our industry's leading private companies? To do so, they present their second annual ET30, a list of the most promising private companies in enterprise tech as determined by VCs in the space. And we want to shout out a few we're big fans of over here. In the early stage category, we see our friends Zapier, Notion, Clearbit, and Product Board make the list. In the mid-stage, Webflow. And in the late stage category, we're all about Stripe, Gusto, and GitLab. We've worked alongside these teams or utilized their software to better our own operation in some regard, so we're pumped to see them on this list among impressive companies in the space. Be sure to check out this list in its entirety, though, which we'll link to in your subscriber newsletter. And then let us know if we missed any that we should be leveraging in the future. And that's it for your February 27th subscription news. Up next, a bit on competition. Should you focus on yours? Focus on your customers. Don't even think about the competition. Being in product, I've heard this advice consistently for the past couple years. Yet, when I dig into why, the responses are pretty lukewarm and appeal to a time of tech companies past when there were only a few companies in existence for each space. What does the data actually say? Well, to answer this question around competition, we're going to look at 2,500 subscription companies. Denying competition has increased is a fool's errand. When surveying executives and founders around how many competitors they had in their first year of business, we find that those who started their business five years ago were looking at two to three competitors, whereas those that started a year ago were looking at double-digit competitors. The rise in competition, though, doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on competition. Yet, when we explore marketing data, it turns out that some level of competitive focus does, in fact, work. Customer acquisition cost, or CAC, is roughly 15% lower for companies with a competitive focus, which includes comparison pages, competitive ads, and the like. When done well, the data suggests that competitive comparisons can actually help buyers make a decision, right? Because they're already doing research in a competitive market, so it stands to reason that you should help them with their research and respectfully show the differences between you and your competitors. Product is a whole different issue, though. 
where those companies with a competitive product strategy are actually doing worse from a customer satisfaction perspective when measured through Net Promoter Score. These competitive-focused product teams are seeing roughly 50% lower NPS scores compared to their non-competitive-focused counterparts. And note that this trend has actually remained fairly consistent over the past number of years. So, should you focus on your competition? Well, it's hard to say. Right? You never want to do anything that sacrifices product quality, and the data does suggest that these companies who are focused on competition are presumably good at lowering their CAC, but not so great at defending their NPS. Another possible outcome here is that these companies aren't disciplined enough to focus on competition in the right places and ignore competition in the other places. Like most cliches, this comes down to the situation and your discipline. And finally, a teaser for RevOps and Hops, a show we've created about revenue operations and the beer we enjoy while discussing it. The thing is that you know it's going to break. The okay. question is when. So just so know it's going to break. There are two yeah. questions, right? So you know it's going to break. There are two questions. One is how long it's going to last. Yeah. And the second question is, which is this concept which I, I like to use, which I don't find very often, actually ever online, but to me is very much a representation of what we are talking about when, you talk, when we talk about growth, which is the idea of the fact that you can engineer you know, a product, you can engineer a system, you can also engineer growth as a, as a trajectory. That's it for your February 27th episode of Recur Now. Check back here tomorrow for more. And remember, this show is for you, the people. So send Abby a note at abby at recurnow.com if you have news you want to share and spread your thoughts on any topic we cover over here. Here's the deal, though. We're also expanding our crew, hiring in roles across the board. Be sure to visit profwell.com slash careers if you're interested in working alongside our team. And once again, this has been a Recur Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more more like it at profitwell.com slash recur.